You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the first chapter, beginning with the 21st verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which one I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent from you and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, it is evidence of their destruction, but but of your salvation. And this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I am still having. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm a big fan of thinking out loud. Right now, I was told when I got to Asbury five years ago, when the pumpkins arrive, Deacon Dawn told me this, when the pumpkins arrive, baby Jesus isn't far behind. So we've been thinking out loud about what Christmas and Advent is supposed to be. I I hate to tell you that, we're already planning that. So I've been wandering around the office thinking out loud, I'm not crazy. I've been thinking out loud about what Christmas and Advent is supposed to be. And there are some things that you just, some things you just don't touch. You know, Christmas Eve, traditional Christmas Eve service is very much, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I love that singing silent night, gathering together by candlelight. But hashtag 2020, instead of Googling which hymns should we use this year, it's are COVID masks flame retardant or not? Like these are the things that we're having to, You know, does our insurance cover face melting? Like, these are the things we're having to look at uh, this year. But don't worry, we will have a traditional four o'clock service where we we sing silent night, we have masks, we have the candles, hold them very far. I'm not sure exactly how to do six feet in lighting. We'll figure it out. But, but, sky's the limit, baby, I love it. At six o'clock, we're going to do an outdoor bonfire with fire pits. Uh, and maybe we'll burn some masks in it, hoping that Christ will redeem the year of 2020. Like, I don't know. It's going to be great. It's going to be totally epic. Well, it's going to be like Christian epic. It's going to be like Christmas Eve epic. I mean, we're not, 
you know, fire, it's not like a KISS concert, but it'll be really cool. Like, we'll have a bonfire, we'll have fire pits. It's going to be great. We're going to welcome. So we've been thinking out loud of what this is supposed to look like uh, over the last couple of days with the staff. Paul is having a thinking out loud kind of moment in his letter to the Philippians right now. Paul's an interesting guy. Sometimes Paul says, hey, this is my advice and not the Lord's advice. Paul thinks out loud sometimes. And we all consider it to be the inspired word of God. That's okay. But he's thinking out loud here. He's having like this existential moment or he's he's out of himself. He's thinking out loud um, about whether or not he should live or die. He says, for to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And I don't know which one I would prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. What is it that Paul is actually struggling with? Some scholars say that Paul is literally wrestling with continuing on with his life in the church. Understand, when he's writing Philippians, he's in jail. Things aren't good. And it's not that he's having just a bad day. He's been persecuted, he's been suffering, he's now in jail, all for the glory of God. But that doesn't mean it's not difficult. It doesn't mean you feel like you're in a really low place. Some scholars say in Greek philosophy, or Greek philosophical fashion, he is wrestling with what an honorable death might look like. To be with Jesus would be better, he says. I'm hard pressed, I'm not quite sure what to do. It's honest. It's raw. It's also in line with the prophets of old. You know, consider Moses in Numbers um, 11. He says to God, why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you would lay this burden of this people on me? I'm not able to carry these people alone. Is this the way you're going to treat me? If this is the way you're going to treat me, put me to death at once and do not let me see my misery. Or Elijah, who sat under the broom tree in 1 Kings 19, said, It is enough, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Or consider Jeremiah, I am ridiculed all day long, cursed be the day I was born. Or Jonah, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, from me, for it is far better for me to die than to live. Sometimes we have this, this idea that Christianity is, is a protective bubble, uh, that, that Christianity really is kind of a Lake Wobegon experience where all the women are strong, the men are good looking, and all the kids are above average, right? This kind of safety net kind of a place where there won't be any struggles. And we get this honestly, right? Uh, Because we have these phrases that we hear and phrases that we say. We say, Jesus saves. And Jesus is the answer. And victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And these are fine responses to the grace of God. Except these phrases and these sayings are incomplete. Jesus saves, yes, Jesus saves from what? Or maybe more appropriately, for what? Jesus is the answer. 
Yes, but it's also really important to investigate what question we are asking. Victory over what in Jesus? And this is what Paul is wrestling with because at the time it doesn't make sense. But at the time in, in, in the Roman Empire, it was all about power and wealth and political uh, influence and all of these. And here's Paul talking about you should follow Christ. But it's a terrible talking point with him being in jail and suffering a, a, a malady. Sure, Paul, sign me up for, for whatever it is that, that you have. It's a terrible political... Well, you know the... All right, so here are all the debates wrapped up in, in one moment. Vote for me, your life will be better. If you vote for the other guy, your life is going to be terrible. Like, that's the whole engine of, of politics. And here's Paul saying, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and you will suffer the shame of the cross. It's not a great talking point. Every time I think about the early church, it is a miracle that there ever was an early church. Paul offering, as Bishop Will Williman and Stanley Hauerwas say, we are to be resident aliens in the world. Or be of the world, uh, be in the world but not of the world, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not a great talking point, Paul. And he's wrestling with this. Understand that um, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Those are not synonyms. Jesus and gain are antonyms in this phrase. Paul's wrestling with what does it mean to live as a Christian? It could mean to say goodbye to the fortune and the glory that the world wants you to have or at least at the time that Paul was writing that the Roman Empire would think that you have. <laughs> um, sometimes we like to sanitize the cross. We, I mean, we, we make it beautiful. We build very large ones. We, but the cross was utterly humiliating. In fact, in the church, we didn't have depictions of the crucifixion in art until the fifth century. That's how long it took for artists in the community to wrestle with the shame of what the cross was. It took almost 500 years before Christ was depicted on the cross. That's how shameful it is. In fact, Constantine I outlawed it eventually because it was so horrific. Well, there is one depiction of the cross which is very early. It's in the second century, but it is a mockery. It is a man who is standing there saying, I worship God, and it is a donkey that's being crucified. It was a mockery of Jesus. That's the earliest artful depiction we have of the crucifixion. To live is Christ, which means suffering with the poor. It means offering healing where there is suffering. It means announcing good news to the poor. And some days I think it's an absolute miracle that the early church was the early church, to be this resident alien kind of experience where the cross is part of our narrative in the world, that humiliation. This weekend, um, we gathered as a family for Halloween family movie night, tis the season. And uh, we were all sitting around the dinner table, like, what should we watch for family movie night, for Halloween family movie night? And the kids, you know, said Casper, the friendly ghost, you know, which is a fine movie. Uh, someone else suggested... 
uh, like Sleepy Hollow, fine movie, uh, The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, fine movie. Well, then it got to dad's turn and I said, why don't we watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? It's a great, like, it's so great. And, and Christy looked at me, she goes, this is a terrible idea. But I played the daddy ace of spades. I'm like, we're watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Like, babe, it's going to be fine. Babe, it's fine. Like, all summer while we were in shelter in place, we went over the great movies of the 80s with the kids, right? We watched Back to the Future and Part 2 and Part 3. We watched The Goonies. We watched E.T. Like, all these great, like, Spielberg stuff. We got about halfway through Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they all fell asleep. But it's fine. It's fine. We're going to watch Temple of Doom tonight. (laughs) Chrissy, this is a bad idea. Babe, come on. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Well, two of our kids slept in our bed last night. (laughs) Um, Maybe it was the part where the guy reached in and pulled out a live heart while the guy was being thrown into the bed. Uh, That might have done it. (laughs) Um, But along the way, there were, you know, eating chilled monkey brains for dessert. That might have done it. There were several beats of this. But you know the story, right? It it starts with um, uh, Harrison Ford, starts with Indiana Jones at Club Obi-Wan, by the way. Nice little Easter egg that Spielberg threw in there for George Lucas. Uh, And he's trading the ashes of the first Chinese emperor for a a, a huge diamond. So the story sets up that Indiana Jones is not this, like, super great moral character. Um, He has a past. uh, Anything goes indeed, which is the opening song. Uh, And he's kind of on the black market of of, of dealing with these goods. And then shenanigans happen. And then he finds himself in India, right? You fall from the sky. And he finds this village uh, where he discovers that the village stone, this this worshipful artifact that they have is one of the lost, one of the five lost Shankara stones, right, with glowing diamonds inside of them. Uh, so he's there with Short Round on the top of a mountain. He goes, what are we going to do, Dr. Jones? He goes, fortune and glory, fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. Great line from Temple of Doom, fortune and glory. So they go and they find this, like, temple to Shiva uh, underground. And, 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 of course, you know, Indiana Jones, he takes his, his whip and he whips in and gets the thing. And, and he finds three of the stones. It's a great thing. He puts them in his bag and he even tips his hat to Shiva as he walks away. But as he's walking away, he hears a whip. And he hears a child scream. And he stops for a moment there. And in that moment, you're beginning to see, yes, it is about fortune and glory, but you're beginning to see that his definition of what fortune and glory means begins to change. And Short Round asks, Dr. Jones, are we going to get out of here? And he says, yes, all of us. And he enters into the suffering of the children. He himself is beaten. He's imprisoned. He becomes blind for a time. And you know the story. Eventually, all of the children are are, are freed. They're freed from bondage. It's Luke chapter 4. Recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives. He releases all of the children. um, And then eventually, uh, more shenanigans happen. (laughs) Um, That we won't talk about. Uh, but, but by the end of the story, right, he, has, he, has, he, he managed to save one of the Shankara stones and chooses to give it back to the village. And Willie asks him about it. He goes, shouldn't you bring it to a museum? And this is a change for Indiana. He goes, no, if I bring it to the museum, they'll just treat it like another rock. This is theirs. And for the first time in his history, 
as an archaeologist, he leaves the artifact there. He's beginning to understand what fortune and glory really is. And the arc of his story is finally realized when he finds the cup of Jesus in the Last Crusade. He saves his father, and he has this great conversation with the Templar that's there, because he doesn't go for a, a, a cup that has gold and jewels and you know, these beautiful gems on him. He chooses a carpenter's cup made of wood. And what does the Templar say? You have chosen wisely. He's finally, it takes three movies, he's finally discovered what fortune and glory really is. Paul says it, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. What is fortune? Paul later writes, I hope that you understand what is the immeasurable riches of his grace. Grace given to us through Jesus Christ. You want to talk about Christian fortune? That's what it is. It is the immeasurable riches of God's grace to us. And glory? Chapter John, uh, chapter John, uh, the book of John, chapter 12, in Jesus' farewell discourses. He goes, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he's not talking about being exalted. He's not talking about having power and influence. He says, truly I tell you, if a grain of wheat falls, then it's nothing. But if, if it falls and dies, it bears much fruit. What does it mean to be glorified? It means to die. Fighting the good fight. In Jesus. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. Yes, there is fortune and glory in the church, but it's quite a different definition <laughs> than those outside of the church might want you to believe. Paul mentions that this is fruitful labor for him. A grain of wheat falls and dies and it becomes fruitful. This is fruitful labor for him. He's not wrestling with whether to live or die. He's wrestling with defining what Christianity is in a world that seemingly wants nothing to do with it. Suffering? Being with the poor? Sign me up. He is hard-pressed between which is better, the immeasurable riches of his grace or one day sitting at the right hand of God. When we are a part of Christ, knowing that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, we too have a place at the table. There is honor, there is glory when God decides to wrap up the story. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I'm going to write it down because that's a great turn of phrase. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. If you don't remember anything, just remember this one line from Paul. Paul says, eh, just live a life worthy of the gospel. If the whole New Testament is too much for you, live a life worthy of the gospel so that one day when we are given the choice, we will choose wisely so that abundant life may be seen throughout the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, we, we receive the immeasurable riches of your grace. 
and your love. Help us to choose wisely a life that is dedicated to living with the poor, offering healing to the world. Let us not be hard-pressed between our calling and what the world might have us do. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Help us to make this decision. Help us to walk in light. Help, Help us to be good stewards of the discipleship that you have offered to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.